0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a ton of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Today, we are continuing our series, Thrive, with three great speakers. You are going to hear from Jen Lewis, Myron Jellison, and Chris Dew, as they all bring what God has shared with them on how to thrive. Let's take a listen.
1: So 20 years ago, I went on a mission trip to India. I can't believe it was 20 years ago, but it was. And when we were there, we traveled in what they call auto rickshaws. And I think this is still the case in India, but most people, if you didn't own a vehicle, you would travel in these rickshaws. And basically what they are is they're like these three-wheeled mopeds that are encased in metal, basically, to protect you from the traffic. But the driver sits in the front, and then there's a seat in the back that can sit two or three people comfortably, depending upon how big the people are. But anyway, we um, traveled often... Um, using these rickshaws, and I'm telling you, it is a step of faith to drive in these rickshaws or to ride in them. I mean, I don't know if you've seen pictures of India or you've been to a place like that, but basically you're in this little vehicle surrounded by all these different varieties of cars and, and automobiles and trucks. And, you know, sometimes it'd be a dump truck right next to us. Sometimes a moped would zoom past on the other side. Sometimes we'd just randomly see a cart being pulled by two oxen. And then other times, Of course, we were in India, there'd be a random cow in the middle of the road. So, anyway, it was a big act of faith to be (laughs) riding in these auto rickshaws. But one of the things that I noticed and that I still distinctly remember is on the inside windshields of these rickshaws, oftentimes the drivers will have placed stickers of Hindu gods. They're kind of like bumper stickers, like our bumper stickers, except they had the different pictures of different Hindu gods. Now in Hinduism, there's tons of gods. And so depending upon the driver, he might pick you know, different ones than another driver. But basically what they did is they put those stickers there to bring good luck or protection to their rickshaw as they traveled through all of this traffic. And what I found as I talked to people in India, both Christians and and Hindus, was that those stickers really represented a bigger thing that was going on in the minds of the people in southern India. See, Hindus were often receptive to Jesus. I mean, they love the message of love and grace and the fact that he died for their sins. I mean, that's who doesn't love that. And so they would eagerly add Jesus to their list. I mean, there were several times where I went into an auto rickshaw, and not only did I see Hindu gods, but I also saw, you know, stickers of Jesus. The sticking point came, though, when I would, or somebody else on the team would say that Jesus wasn't just one of many gods, but that he is the God. You see, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. It's easy to just add Jesus to a list of other deities that you appreciate and look to for blessing and for protection, but to recognize him as the only God and to follow his ways above all other ways is a little more difficult to accept. And it's interesting that this has become something that I've thought about several times during this season of our pandemic, because what I have thought about is the fact that even us in... This Western culture um, and even Christians in the Western culture probably have more in common with those rickshaw drivers than we realize. Now, we don't have stickers, you know, in, in, in of, of different gods on our windshields. But many times, unknowingly, we have reduced our faith in Jesus to seeking him for blessing and protection it's easy to look for the good things, to ask for the good things on the journey and simply add him to all the other things we trust in life, but not make him the priority in life. You know, in our Western culture, it may be that we're not looking for blessing and and we're not trusting in in, in God's per se, but... Maybe we're trusting in our jobs or our spouses or our health or our bank accounts or what the government can do for us, either the government now or one that we wish would come eventually. But do we really put Jesus first? And I think when we look at the things that we're nervous about and we're fearful of in this time, could those be revealing to us about where we have put our trust accidentally? And I would say that Jesus, when he calls us to a life of faith, he wants us to live a life where we are fully committed to him first. And it is in that life where we're going to thrive. So I happen to think about Mark chapter 10. There's, There's the story of the rich young ruler, if any of you are familiar with it. But in this story, we see that this kind of tendency in our human nature to trust other things other than God was happening even back in Jesus's day. Let me read to you what happened with the rich young ruler. It says in verse 17 of chapter 10 of Mark, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? "'Why do you call me good?' Jesus answered. "'No one is good except God alone. "'You know the commandments. "'Do not murder, do not commit adultery, "'do not steal, do not give false testimony, "'do not defraud, honor your father and mother. "'Teacher,' he declared, "'all these I have kept since I was a boy.' "'Jesus looked at him and loved him. "'One thing you lack,' he said, "'go sell everything you have and give to the poor, "'and you will have treasure in heaven.' then come follow me at this the man fell f- at the ma- at this the man's face fell he went away sad because he had great wealth what's interesting about this section of scripture is that this guy is coming to God coming to Jesus wanting blessing He's coming to find out, how do I ensure that I get the eternal blessing, that I get eternal life? And I think, honestly, for a lot of us, that's where we come to God, at least initially. We want the blessing. We want eternal life. We want protection, whatever it is. And we see in Jesus' response, you know, when he tells him, well, you know all that you're supposed to do, all these commandments you're supposed to do. But Jesus knows full well that even though this young man says, oh, I've kept these things all my life, Jesus knows we can't live up to that. That standard is too hard for us to manage. And so Jesus continues the conversation with the the man to really get to the heart of the issue. And the heart of the issue is that his trust lies in other things than in Jesus first. I mean, there's lots of lessons in this story. Jesus, first of all, doesn't turn him away. I mean, not only does he not turn him away, it says that he loved him. Even knowing his motive, even knowing that his desire is probably somewhat superficial, Jesus still invites him to follow him, loves him, and also cares enough to show him where he may be off kilter a bit. Basically, he's saying, look, buddy, you can live well and you can do all these right things, but you're trusting either in your own abilities, because remember, the the young man said, what can I do to get eternal life? but also he was trusting in his wealth. You know, when Jesus said, you got to give it all up and his face fell and he walked away sad because his trust was in that wealth. Jesus knows even if those things can provide for us and can help us and, and can be a blessing in some ways, our life will never be what they're supposed to be if we're looking to those things before looking to Jesus. That our commitment first and foremost and our trust first and foremost, needs to be in God. And what's interesting about this time in particular in our lives is that we don't always see when we're off kilter in this. We don't often see when we get off balance. We can think that we've got Jesus first, but our lives would say something different. And when we look at the things that we are fearful of and afraid of in this time, I think it does reveal something about where we've put our trust. You know, this season of isolation where our health and our livelihoods are threatened, it shows us that those things may be what we rely on more than Jesus. What do we trust in more? Jesus or our health? Jesus or our ability to work and make a living for ourselves? Jesus or the government to protect us and provide for us? Or or Jesus or our families being healthy and well taken care of? And this slight shift that we don't even always notice, it matters. And it can be something that really impacts the way we live our lives. The rich young ruler came looking for a blessing. He didn't really come looking for God. And the sad thing is, is he missed it, at least as far as we can tell. We don't know for sure what happened next, but we know at least in that initial response He chose to trust in his wealth over trusting in God. I think it's worth our time as we're sitting here and and our lives are are dealing with such big adjustments. I think it's worth us asking ourselves, what do I want when I do this church thing? Do I really want Jesus or like the, the young man or even like the rickshaw driver, am I just going to him for protection and for blessing? Because Jesus, who is the creator of all things, the creator of your heart and my heart, he knows what ultimately will bring satisfaction. And while all those other things we put our trust in can be helpful and can be great in this life, if they're not put in their proper place, they will never bring the satisfaction that only Jesus can bring. Jesus came, he said he came to give us life and to give it to us in the full, that we would thrive. He wants us to thrive. He wanted the rich young ruler to thrive. And he knows that he's the one who can make that happen. That when we come to him first, when our commitment is to him above all else, that's when we will thrive. So in this quarantine time, I want us to not waste it. I want us to ask God as we feel unsettled and nervous and fearful, what is it that I've put above you? What is it that I value more than you, God? What am I committed to above you? And then ask God to change our priorities, to help us. And all the while, as we're doing this, I want us to keep in mind, Jesus knows. He knows how we can get off skew and how we can get out of whack in our priorities. And still, like the rich young ruler, he loves us and he invites us to follow him. And so we, like the young man, have a choice to make. Will we choose to put him first and follow him? Or will we choose to continue to look around at other places to find all that we really need? Today, we have the choice. God has given us an opportunity and a way to be with him first and foremost, to know him, not because of the blessings he can give us, but because of who he is and what he deserves. The choice is up to you.
2: Well, hey, Myron here, and we're going to dive into our next element or topic in this Thrive series, and it's generosity. It's it's called sharing your stuff. Now, we have an opportunity to step into something deeper, into a life of thriving if we get this right. And so I just want to frame it up with personal resources. You have so many personal resources and I define these as things at your disposal, things at your fingertips. Like right now, your bank account, the money in your wallet, the the food in your house, your house, the cars that you have, the golf clubs, the tools, the, the mower, whatever it is that you have and possess at your disposal is your personal resources. Also included in that is things like your time. Um, your energy, your, uh, words of affirmation, your positivity, your, your wisdom or insight and intellect. Those are all things that you possess that you can share as well. And something happens. Okay. And we run into a problem right away because I don't think any of us, we know this come out of our mother's womb with a deep, uh, Desire or a deep, authentic, innate desire to be generous. We don't. In fact, it's the opposite. And uh, we look at toddlers and we can see this. So I'm living this right now. I have a two year old toddler and an eight month old son. So my two year old Avalon, my eight month old son, Braxton. Braxton is oblivious. He has no idea. (laughs) You know, he's eight months old, but my daughter's too. And there's something that happens when she knows that she has stuff, when things are hers. And this is how it plays out. She's playing over here in the room by herself, you know, in the corner with her toys. And then all of a sudden, there's a toy on the other side of the room that she isn't even aware of exists over there at the moment. And now you hear Braxton. He's eight months old and he's a crawler. And he just slaps the floor when he crawls. So you hear him when he's crawling. And he's crawling. He's going after that toy. All of a sudden, Adeline's in the corner playing, goes, whips her head around looks at him, sees him going for the toy, and I kid you not, like a movie slow motion, she's like, no, and she'll run. She'll lay out and dive. She'll grab that toy and rip it from him and say, no, it's mine. And it's so true. We don't have a natural desire to be generous. And you and I, adults, Toddler comes out in us sometimes in the form of, well, we're just not re- willing to, to do that because there's a cost involved. Like, it's going to cost me something to share. It's going to cost me something to give up that possession or share my possession. And the problem is, is we are sometimes unwilling to share because we count the cost and realize it's not really worth it. And I think of the rich young ruler that Jen just talked about. He walked away sad. He was bummed out because the cost was so big of him having to sell or get rid of his possession. So you and I, we may have a propensity or a desire to want to huddle up our things, control, keep, hold tight of them, be selfish in their ours and say no to people when there's an opportunity which we can leverage them. And share them. And here's the thing about stuff. Stuff is good. We we uh, get joy from stuff. We enjoy stuff. And here's why I think we possess stuff and want stuff is because we want to have some type of life. We want to enjoy life. But here's the thing. Here's a catch 22. The thing about life that you are craving and that I am seeking and that we're all trying to find comes in actually leveraging and giving away and being generous to things that we have. So, having a car, having a house, having that four-wheeler to go and having that mower to mow your ga- grass or plow a garden, having whatever it is, is good. You need those things. But true life is found when we leverage that, when we begin to be open-fisted and begin to let people share in what we have. So, we thrive when we share our stuff. Period. We do. You wanna thrive, you wanna come alive, you wanna have joy and happiness and contentment and satisfaction in this life, give your stuff away open up and share your stuff. Now there's le- there's leveling of degrees of generosity and certain seasons in our life will be more generous than others. But there are people in your life who you know and you watch and see and observe their life and they just have joy. Like they're just happy that you want to be around them. Like they're just fun, exciting, joyful, happy people. And I think at the core of those people, the people that I know directly that I'm thinking of have this down pat. They thrive because they are Uh, predetermined or or they've pre-decided to be generous. And here's the decision that they had to make. They had to make the decision on whose stuff it really was. Who has ownership of those stuff? So my question to you is, what gives you the right to say that's your stuff? Because you paid for it? Because you've had it for so long? Because somebody gave it to you? Like we take ownership of this stuff and when we have ownership, we become very protective and, and selfish with it. But man, We have to understand this fact. Psalm 24, one paints it this way. It says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's not even yours. You understand? Like, it's just crazy for me to think about and fathom that everything that I have isn't even mine. It's God's. The world, my life, the fact that I am alive and exist on planet earth and I have breath in my lungs is a gift from God. Um, everything that I have, my house, my cars, my clothes, my food is a gift that God has allowed me to have that he's given to me. And here's the switch that happens when you realize it's no longer yours and you don't own it and God owns it. You just become a manager and we call this stewardship. You become a good steward of everything that God has entrusted with you. And I have a friend, his name's Gary, and he taught me this. and This really founded me in this philosophy of understanding that God, this is all God's. Everything is God's. And Gary was moving from Wheeling, he had a new job, a new adventure, and him and his wife were going to move. And so they're they're packing up and they're moving and I'm talking with him and he's like, hey, like, we're downsizing to a smaller house. I can't take all this stuff with me to the new house. And Emily and I had just kind of bought our house and we had this shed out back that was still pretty empty. We didn't have fill it up yet. So I was talking to Gary, and I said, Gary, you know what, you can, uh, can kind of store your stuff in my shed uh, just until you get your th- settled and get it figured out and get a plan together. Just, you know, come drop some stuff off and store it in my shed. He was like, wow, that's amazing. Thank you so much. So he shows up with a moving truck full of stuff and we're going through it and we're like, that ain't all gonna fit in that shed. So we're going through what stays and what doesn't, what doesn't stay with me in the shed. And as we're unloading and talking and he's like, Myron, he's like, can you use any of this? Can you use this? Can you use this? Do you have a need for this? He's like, if you do, take it, it's yours. Because guess what? This stuff's not even mine. And when Gary said that, it just hit me like, it's not even yours? What do you mean it's not yours? Not mine, it's God's. And God allowed Gary to have possession of that and, and was asking Gary to steward it. And he's like, Myron, if you have a need for it, take it and use it. I was like, no, I'm good. We don't need anything. But thank you, though. So he left a good bit of stuff in the shed. And as he's leaving, he says, Myron, if you if you can use any of this while it's here, use it. Like Get some use out of it. We're like, okay, I agreed to that. So the two the two major things that we used were just two rocking chairs. They were plastic rocking chairs, nice heavy duty ones for outdoor. And me and my wife would sit in those on the back patio and we used those two rocking chairs. There were some other things that we used as well, but those are the two major things that I remember. And Gary comes to pick up his stuff uh, finally. And we made an arrangement to where he had a key to the shed so that I didn't have to be home. And so I wasn't home. He came and got his stuff, but he left some things. He left the rocking chairs and left some other things. So I called him, I said, Gary, you left the rocking chairs and you left some things. He's like, hey, I know you've been using them. And just again, these are not mine, they're God's. And you have a need or you have a use for them, so keep them. Man, that spoke to me. And that has really transformed the way in which I approach my life in being generous. Jesus and his disciples did this. They shared their things. I don't know. Jesus and his disciples might have created this (laughs) or they just definitely did this. But as they're traveling around from town to town, doing ministry, sharing life, they're sharing their food. They're sharing their clothes. They're sharing their supplies. Jesus is sharing his wisdom and his teachings and his prophecies about what's to come. And they're just having uh, this time of fellowship and this time of sharing in their life. And it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And Jesus is wrapping up his ministry, and he's going to send out the disciples to keep going and keep doing ministry and keep living life together. And this is what he says in Matthew eight or Matthew ten eighty says: "Freely you have received, freely give. Everything that you've been given, everything that you have received from me, Jesus, everything you've received from one another, give it. Continue to give it." Like, don't just huddle up and be content, but continually give. And and as you give, God's going to keep pouring it on. And there's this cycle of we'll just trust God and take him up on this. As we live open-handed, as good managers and good stewards of his things, he's going to keep blessing us and giving it to us so that we can keep distributing it and being an agent of God's love and generosity to our fellow man. And it's in the outflow of this that we get to experience God's plan and we get to be a part of God's plan. It says this in 1 Peter First Peter 4.10 says this, says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Whatever gift or gifts you've been given, you are to use them to serve others. You are, you, you, you are called to be a part of God's plan. He chose you and I to be a part of his God's plan. And it includes you and your stuff, leveraging that. And what happens when you do this is you get to be a form of God's grace that shows up tangibly and practically in somebody's life. Because think about it. He's called us. He's using us. He chose to use you and I to bring his grace to every nook and cranny on this earth, to every single person possible. And in various forms comes in every unique person with every unique gift they have, every unique situation in which they could leverage or circumstance they could use their gift. There's an infinite amount of ways in which God's grace can show up tangibly in people's lives. And God wants to include us. He chose to include us in his plan of bringing love and the message of Jesus and and his grace and forgiveness through us. And one way we can do that is sharing our stuff, opening up and being generous. And this played out in uh, Hurricane Harvey in 2017. There was a video on Facebook that I saw back then. and It was brought to my attention recently again, that there was a woman driving down the road and she was filming and there was just a line of traffic on on the median, on the berm, getting off an exit. And it was a boat after boat after boat after boat being pulled by a truck and just a massive line of people. That massive line of people was taking their thing that they had, their possession, okay, that wasn't even theirs, but it was God's, and they were taking their thing and going to the rescue of those who needed it. Houses were being flooded, family members were trapped, animals were were trapped, and they were going on a rescue mission, showing up with their boat just because they had a thing. And they were were able to help and able to serve people with their stuff. And you know what it looks like being on the receiving end of that, all those boats? It's not just you're going to be like, oh, look at all these people with these boats, like going to go fishing and skiing and enjoying and recreating on the water. No, what they see is God's provision. What they see is God's grace. What they see is God's rescue story for them in that tragedy. So you and I have an opportunity to leverage everything that we've been given. We got to fight our toddlerness and our selfishness of saying, no, it's mine. And realizing it's not yours, it's God's, and that if we live open-handed, generous, you will thrive. You will have so much satisfaction. It's that there's a physiological response that happens for your mental health and well-being. It's studyable, and also there's this supernatural thing that you unlock deep inside of you when you make this switch and this posture of living open and sharing your stuff.
0: What is up, Vineyard Church? Chris here. This has been an incredible season in so many ways. Uh, to be home on our couch, uh, to have our coffee in hand, and uh, to be hanging out with our friends and family, uh, and uh, to be able to watch online—it's—it's it's been an incredible season of church in so many ways. Uh, but also, man, I think you and I can both realize uh, that there's some things that are missing. Uh, that there are some things that are lacking in this. Type of church setting. And yes, I mean hugs for Miss Patty, uh, but also a lot more. Uh, the author of Hebrews ultimately says this in chapter 10. He says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, uh, to not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but instead encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, The author of Hebrews here is encouraging us uh, to connect consistently, that if we will connect consistently, we will thrive. And he explains that a lot of people are in the habit of just saying, I can do life all by myself. I don't have to come to church. I don't have to be in a small group. I don't have to do all these things, right, because I'm good on my own. And I think we have that also in our day. There's a lot of people who are trying to do life alone, who are trying to follow Jesus all by themselves. And he says it's a habit that it's easy to get into. But ultimately, he says that there are some things that can only happen as we come all together in the corporate gathering in small groups and we connect consistently. Here's a few of those things. Um, five reasons why we need to connect consistently from Hebrews chapter 10. Here's point number one, in order to keep the faith. He explains in verse 23, hold fast our confession of hope. And then he ties that back to community. And I heard someone say one time that the first step away from the person of God is oftentimes a step away from the people of God. And I think that's true. That's point number one. Here's point number two. Ultimately, we need to connect consistently in order that we will be refueled for the mission that God has called us to. It explains in verse 24 to stir one another up to love and good works. I don't know about you, man, but when I come together in the church gathering, I am stirred up in order to love people afterwards, and that I am stirred up in order to do good works. And when I try to do it by myself, especially on the road sometimes for me, uh, that I'm going from church to church, I'm speaking, uh, but ultimately that I am missing that uh, stirring in my soul ultimately go and reach people with uh, the gospel, right? So we need to uh, come together in order to be refueled for uh, the mission. Here's number three, is ultimately to encourage each other to persevere. Encourage each other uh, to persevere. He explains in verse 25 that Christ is coming back soon, and ultimately uh, that we are closer now than we've ever been uh, to Christ returning. And in order to persevere until the end, we need to be encouraging each other in small groups and in the corporate gathering in order that we can make it till the end. I've experienced this a little bit in CrossFit, uh, that when I do CrossFit, and I've got my CrossFit shirt on today, uh, but when I do CrossFit, Uh, Ultimately, there's a lot of other people around me and we're all going in the same direction and we're having fun. it's, It's hard work, don't get me wrong, right? But when we're all together, it's amazing how that we can persevere through very hard exercises, hard activities. But ultimately in quarantine, I've been in my garage trying to do the same CrossFit workouts I normally do and I've wanted to quit. And honestly, I have quit a few times in the middle of workouts, I'm like, this is too hard. I'll just change, you know, how many reps I'm going to do or how many sets I'm going to do. And I think that's also true in our Christian life. And ultimately, when we are uh, all together and we're coming to church, man, it's, it's easier to persevere because we're encouraging each other, man. But when we try to do life alone, it's easy to quit early. That's number three. Here's number four. In order to keep us from sin. Keep us from sin. Um, Verse 26 and 27, um, there's some hard words from the author of Hebrews uh, that ultimately explain that, man, if we turn back to our old ways, our old habits, our old hang-ups, then what's going to happen is there's consequences for that. I heard this um, experiment uh, that happened a few hundred years ago. Uh, and it's how we get a lot of our information on addiction. I mean, what they did is they put a rat uh, just all alone in this empty cage. Um, They put a plain water bottle in there and a heroin water bottle. And that rat, almost 100% of the time, they did this study a lot, would try the heroin water, he would like the heroin water, and ultimately he'd get addicted and overdose on that heroin. I mean, that's how we viewed addiction for so long, that if we have the option of using drugs, then what's gonna happen is we're going to engage in that. We're going to use the drugs and there's gonna be huge consequences. Uh, but more recently, uh, that there was a uh, t- study that was done in Canada and it was called Rat Park. And ultimately what happened in Rat Park is that there was this giant cage they built with lots of rats in there with lots of cheese and toys and, and, and it was like heaven for rats. Everything they could want was in this cage ultimately, and they put the same two water bottles. They put the plain water and a heroin water bottle in there. And here's the crazy thing, almost 100% of the time that the rats who tried the heroin water bottle would say, I don't really want that and they would just use the plain water. Hardly any of them actually got addicted um, and I don't think any of them actually overdosed and died from it, which is so weird, right? Because if you look at an isolated rat in a cage, almost 100% of the time, tried it and got addicted and overdosed, except in the connected environment, none of the rats overdosed and died. Why? Because an isolated rat in a cage is trying to do life by himself, he's all alone. But ultimately, when we have other people around us, um, in this case, other rats, We are in a connected environment and we don't need this other source of joy, but rather we can live in freedom. Here's another cool part of that uh, experiment that was done. Is ultimately what he did is he put a few of the rats in the isolated environment and right before they died, he'd switch them over to the other environment, right? And they're addicted to heroin, have the option of using the heroin water bottle And almost 100% of the time, they would quit using the heroin water bottle in order to thrive in that community. Because when we connect consistently in a connected environment and we do life together as the body of Christ, as the family of God, what happens is that we are able to live in freedom and thrive. Here's point number five, and this is probably the highlight of the whole message, is intimacy with God. Here's what Jesus said. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be. And obviously, right, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at once. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you and I if we're Christians, but scripture says there is a special experience of the presence of God that only happens when we come all together in the corporate environment in order to hear the word preached and worship King Jesus. We are made from community, for community, from the Trinitarian God of the universe, made in his image for the family of God. And when Jesus died on the cross, and when he rose again, he reconciled us to himself, and he reconciled us to each other. This is really good news. So here's the deal, Vineyard Church, is that as this thing hopefully ends pretty soon, and we're able to gather back together, let's Choose right now to say I'm not going to stay at home and watch on my couch, even though that's awesome, right? It's it's really fun right now, but when this thing opens back up, let's make a decision right now that we will come together again. We will gather together in our corporate worship, in small groups, in coffee time with other people and stuff, because we will thrive when we connect consistently. I love you, you, Vineyard Church. I can't wait to see you soon. Let's pray together, Father. Man, thank you for the opportunity uh, to talk through a screen and to watch church at home, God. But thank you also for the special, um, I don't know, all the things that are so special that happen when we gather together. And I pray right now that you would open up our eyes to how we can connect consistently right now in quarantine. But also put a longing inside of us and an urgency to come back together really, really soon. We love you, Jesus, and pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.